of Emmy Stories with Phoebe. I'm your host, Phoebe Brackwongusu. I hope you all have had a great week so far. And if you celebrate Christmas, I hope that you got what you wanted for Christmas. Uh, If I was back home, I would have gotten a whole bottle of Fanta to myself. Fanta lemon, to be specific. And I would have been super content. Well, I got to spend the day with my family and we had a wonderful time. So today I have an announcement to share. This is going to be the last episode of the year and also marks the end of season one. I almost can't believe that we've made it. We've made it this year. We've made it this far. Seriously. I'd like to use this opportunity to say a huge thank you to all our faithful listeners, not only for listening, but, you know, sharing with people that you know uh, or don't know, depending on how you share it. I appreciate every tag on social media, the WhatsApp posts, the text messages, as well as the emails. Feedback is so important, and so I'm very grateful for those of you who have been leaving reviews. Please keep those coming, okay? And a special shout-out to my one and only producer, Mike Bogabraco. If you're ever wondering what Boga means, you should hit him up and ask. He'll tell you. I've been uh, trying to convince him to make an appearance on here, but I guess he's shy, so... Or, you know, let's just say that he's not ready for this level of fame, right? Uh, Mike is in school, he does photography, and he has quite a bit on his plate, but he has kindly agreed to produce his podcast, and I think he's been doing an amazing job, don't y'all think so? Go follow him on Instagram at Bogamage, B-O-R-G-A-M-A-G-E. All right, so today's episode is going to be a little different. This is a recap episode of the season sharing some of my favorite moments from the season. So sit back and enjoy. All of my family, including my parents, are in Nepal. Some friends from my childhood whom I care about and have maintained friendships with are also there. So I think staying connected to my home country comes naturally. I talk to them pretty regularly, and when or if that's not happening, I still follow their social media and have an idea of the general things happening around them or to them. Okay, let's pause here. Can we just say a thank you to social media? I know that it's been a, what shall I call it, a necessary evil, but y'all know that's how we get the tea. That's how we find out who's doing what, who's going where, who thinks what, who supports who, you know? All the juicy stuff on there so I just thought I would throw that in there because honestly that's how I've kept up with a lot of people to see where they're at too in many ways I've always felt like I truly didn't have roots in either place as an adult I've always felt like I embody the term african-american strictly by the words used I am African and I am American. All of my childhood, sorry, all of my adulthood and coming of age moments happened in the U.S. as an American. Congo birthed me and America taught me how to live. Yo, you should put that on a t-shirt. I like that. Congo birthed me and America taught me how to live. (laughs) 
Alfredi also says, in today's America, a lot of people, especially those that have not been exposed to or interacted much with immigrants, have negative perceptions about immigrants and assume immigrants have lower education or work menial jobs. So it's such a wild moment for them when they learn you're educated, even sometimes have a higher level of education. Interestingly, during the 2016 elections, I was working in Latin America for an extended period. I remember staying up late, sitting in bed, watching the elections and watching the results coverage. I was in shock at the result. I wept. I think it was a selfish weeping. I can't say I was weeping for the US. I was weeping for myself. I felt rejected. I felt unwanted. The country that I loved did not love me back. It was not until the next day that I began thinking about the broader implications. When I went to work the following day, my colleagues, who were natives of the country I was in, were determined to talk to me about the results. As soon as I walked in, the colleague closest to me said, Barbara, what happened? What happened? Another colleague later in the day asked me, do you feel the way Trump feels about us? The way Americans feel about us? My gosh. That is when it hit me that the message that we had sent to the world about America and our values was a message of hate, intolerance, and division. From that day, I made sure that in everything I do, and especially as it relates to immigrants, my values and my pride in being a black immigrant woman were evident. Today and always, I hold myself as the proud black immigrant woman that I am and remind others like me that we are wanted, important, deserving, and valued. This story was also published in the Ghost Heart Literary Journal, and it is titled November 8th, 2016. Where are you from? The last customer asks as I clean his table quickly, peeking at the generous tip he has left for me. I answer, politely of course. He looks excited and tells me that he has watched a National Geographic special featuring the mountains there. Gorgeous, he says. I nod, politely of course. The restaurant manager is watching. I am accustomed to this investigation. It is my third year in America, after all. Sometimes this question is served with a smile, and other times it is thrown without one. But either way, I am met with it far too many times than I prefer. Don't get me wrong, I am not averse to the questions. I just wish that sometimes I was asked who I am or how I am instead of where I'm from. I finish setting up for the next day's shift. Knives and spoons go on the right side of the plate and forks to the left, a lesson that took me a while to get used to. Just like working the cashier's register or serving water with ice even in winter. The manager walks up to me and reminds me to come in early. The college kids will probably celebrate the election result here, he says. We will need extra hands. I nod, 
grab my jacket and walk towards the train station. I don't see the tip that was left for me. I'm accustomed to that as well. I wait for the train. It's cold, and the train is late. The orange line is always late. One more thing I'm accustomed to. Trains in Boston remind me of buses back in Kathmandu. Never on time, usually full, and always reeking of human desperation. I feel right at home. I like them. I am not lying. I like them especially after they bid farewell to the folks from the quote-unquote good neighborhoods and start assembling bodies with faces full of maps tracing countries far away like mine. Here, where are you from, sounds like I miss home too. Last week, I met a 70-year-old woman from my father's town in western Nepal on this same train. I complimented her on the Dhaka sari she was wearing, and she immediately asked how I knew her language. Nepali is my mother tongue too, I told her. But she continued testing my claim with interrogations about my father, grandfather, and my grandmother's name. She paused, attested to having attended school with my grandmother's sister, and finally smiled back. I could have told her that my grandmother was an only child. But instead I said, Nepal is a small country. She started talking more, louder, shoulders not as awake anymore. A white woman sitting across us with a yoga mat next to her shrugged at our loudness and turned away. My new friend looked at her and then to me. Americans like yoga very much. I chuckled. My son didn't like it when my husband and I used to practice yoga outside his apartment back in the day. She had mentioned being one of the fewer Nepali families who had immigrated to the U.S. in the 90s. He said we weren't in Nepal anymore and that our American neighbors already didn't like us being here. So my husband started jogging, but I didn't like running. I stayed in and meditated instead, inside where the neighbors couldn't see me. I forced a chuckle, not knowing how to hold a grief of this kind. But now Americans like yoga very much, she continued. I hear it's a big business. She paused and spoke more. For the next nine minutes, we grasped whatever we could out of one another to fill the void I have yet to learn how to name in English. I haven't seen her since. Today, there's an East African woman sitting next to me. She has a baby in her arms. They look exhausted but peaceful, like two pieces of everything that belong together. She catches me looking. I wonder if she can see the envy on my face or hear my heart pumping into my lungs. I forge a smile. How old? Almost a year, she says. You have one? I take my phone out and show her a picture. Seven now, I add and continue telling her everything my mother has told me about my son on the phone last week. The woman with a baby must have left the train somewhere between his new favorite song and the incident at a school. I didn't notice. He will be here with me next year, I say to her, 
to him, to the empty train, and to myself. I walk into the three-bedroom apartment I share with five other Nepalis. They are all huddled around our, ne- our laptop, watching the news. Election has had this effect on everybody, but I don't quite understand it. Even the lawyer at the community center has been bringing it up during our meetings. Last month, he had, last month, he had suggested filing for my son's immigration application earlier than I had planned. It could be more difficult in case of a new administration, he said. But the lawyer at the community center doesn't understand that I don't have enough money saved. America is expensive, especially if you're poor. Besides, everybody says that this country is going to elect its first woman president this year. The college kids are coming to our restaurant tomorrow to celebrate. I will file for my son's visa next year. He will be here with me next year, I said to the lawyer, to my roommates, to my mother, and to myself. Priscilla says, I am integrating my culture through two main areas language and food. I do my best to speak Chi with my children and try to work with them to speak it back. This part is a struggle, but we try. So Chi is a language that's spoken um, in Ghana. Just, you know, fun fact. My four-year-old understands the language very well, even though he does not speak it. He sometimes says things in Chi, which gets us very excited. Right from when they started eating solid foods, I introduced my kids to food from my culture, which is what we eat predominantly. Foods like goat pepper soup and fufu, jollof, omutuo, and peanut butter soup, bean stew, etc. So let's review this amazing food that Priscilla is talking about. Because if you didn't know, I'm quite a foodie, okay? Goat pepper soup... It slaps, okay? If you don't eat goat, that's fine. But those of you who eat goat, you know what I'm talking about. Fufu is a meal that is made from um, from cassava and plantain or cassava and cocoyam. It's, it's a starchy food, so you can make it with different kinds of um, ingredients, but it just has to be the starch. And you have to have your cassava, uh, cassava pre- uh, present. So you pound it and then you make it into a mound and then you put your soup around it. Well, here in America, it's kind of hard to do the pounding. There's some people who I've heard who have done it, people who live in like New York. Uh, but otherwise, you can get the flour, you mix it up and you make your mound. Jollof is a rice dish. It looks like Mexican red rice. And um, it's a little more richer and has um, a lot more flavor. There's been a lot of jollof wars. Today, we're not going into that because my heart goes out to our Nigerian brothers and sisters. We love y'all. We're standing with y'all. So today, no jollof wars. Okay, just today. Um, Omutuo is rice balls. It's, you know, as the name implies, rice that's made into these balls. And you eat it with soup. And it goes very well with peanut butter soup. 
I have a peanut butter soup story I'm going to share on another episode. Somebody remind me, okay? All right, let's go back to the story. Prisla says they love it all. And what is super impressive is their spice tolerance level. In addition to those two primary focus areas, we often talk about Ghana and let them know that is where they're from. We actually have gotten them so excited about going to Ghana that if they do something naughty, we tell them that they will not go to Ghana with us. They can't wait to go. Prior to the war in Liberia, we had lived a relatively comfortable life with a beautiful house with a nanny or maid, multiple vehicles with drivers, and a good private school education. My mother had been the general manager of the National Bank of Liberia, the first female to hold this title, and my aunt had been a pediatrician trained in Germany. Now, let me pause here and say, you know, this is one of the things that amazes me a lot when, you know, when people talk about their experiences like at, at home versus the experiences that they have here in the U.S. Because they have these beautiful lives and, and they talk about them so fondly. And then you come to America and it's almost it almost feels impossible to have that life again. And that in itself can feel scary and, and traumatic for, for, for immigrants because the life that you knew is is no more, you know? Anyway, back to Safi. Safi says, We came to the U.S. and my mom had to work as a teller at a check-cashing facility while my aunt worked in medical records at a clinic. She would later get a job at a bank, but that was much further down the road. That is, that is something, you know. It feels like the, the rest of the world's standards when it comes to education is like no match for the U.S., right? And like Safi is saying here, her aunt, who is a trained pediatrician, comes here and she ends up working in medical records, you know. Medical professionals come here to the U.S. and they have to redo their education and redo like all these board exams. And it almost feels like they're treated as, as high school graduates or, or less than. And that has always felt painful to me, honestly. Like how professionals, not just, you know, medical professionals, but other, um, other professionals come here and it's like, it's like they're nobodies. And, and that, has, that feels painful. That feels very, very painful. All right, back to Safi. My 12-year-old mind wondered where was the fantasy and the magic of the U.S.? Why were we struggling? Why couldn't my mother find a job as a bank manager? Why couldn't my aunt continue to practice as a medical doctor? At a young age, I would come to realize some of the barriers that immigrants experience in trying to survive in the U.S. My aunt had studied and become licensed in Germany. Therefore, she would have to take the U.S. medical boards in order to become licensed and to practice in the U.S. Who had the money and time for that? 
especially after narrowly escaping a war and trying to support children in a new land. My young mind struggled to understand what was happening. People struggled in the U.S.? People had to work multiple jobs just to pay bills? You didn't own your home, and you had to pay rent? I would have to start working at a young age, before I was even legally allowed to help with the household expenses. Mind blown. Nanifa says, My first Thanksgiving celebration was at school. I was so excited about it. The International Student Office organized a dinner for international students. There were several of us. I had heard so many stories about the turkey. I was looking forward to it. I got to the venue, got a seat, and made myself comfortable, only to be offered a slice of meat. Only to be offered a slice of meat, which was supposedly turkey. <laughs> Girl, you must have been disappointed. You were bamboozled. <laughs> I'm not sure how this was made, but it didn't taste good at all. I bet. I was so disappointed. But since then, I've had better Thanksgiving turkeys, and my favorite part is the wing. Now, the second one. <laughs> my friend invited me home with her. And so I had this standard for my first one of what Thanksgiving would look like. So I went in with high expectations, okay? Well, come to find out that my friend's mom didn't cook. Did I know this? No. So I wake up on Thanksgiving morning. I don't smell a thing. There's nothing cooking. I don't hear any chopping in the kitchen. I don't hear, like, there's nothing happening. It's just a regular schmegler day. And so I think I asked my friend, it's like, hey, so what are we doing for Thanksgiving? She's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to hang out at the house. Hang out at the house? Like, can we eat something? <laughs> I was starting to get disappointed. So I was like, no, we're not going to go down like this. Let's go to the store. And um, let's, let's go do some shopping, and I'm going to cook. So uh, my fellow Africans who make groundnut soup, a.k.a. peanut butter soup, please don't disown me after I admit this. At that stage, I hadn't actually made that kind of soup here in America, so I didn't know that there were varieties to peanut butter, okay? I didn't know that Jif peanut butter... <laughs> was actually like sweet and salty so that's the peanut butter I went for to make my groundnut soup and I think I bought some chicken or maybe I bought some turkey I think I must have bought some turkey so I make this meal for this family and the <laughs> and the soup ends up sweet and salty at the same time <laughs> because you know this is supposed to be a savory soup by the way Oh God, I can't, I can't even, 
I was so embarrassed, but when I tell you they enjoyed it, so I just rolled with it. Because I was like, you know, whatever, y'all ain't going to know anyway. (laughs) I was mortified. So, yeah, that that was my most memorable Thanksgiving, you know, having to, to cook, you know, when I wasn't prepared to cook for for an entire for an entire family. <laughs> and then of course my friend won't stop talking about this soup and I'm just like, girl, stop talking about it like it's not supposed to taste like that, you know. But of course she didn't have a frame of reference for that soup. So anyway. Rowan says Fortunately, when I moved to the States, I moved to South Florida with my family uh, in Miami. Miami, Florida weather is like Lagos, Nigeria, since there's only one season during the year. However, the weather does cool down during the winter months, going as low as 60 degrees Fahrenheit. For a Nigerian boy who has only seen Harmattan, 60 degrees Fahrenheit was cold enough to wear a winter jacket. So you mean like jacket, sweater, and, and, and such. But this behavior was not limited to the Nigerian boy. South Floridians also use the cooler weather as an opportunity to make a fashion statement <laughs> during the winter. We hope you've enjoyed this recap. It's always a good time to catch up on the episodes um, from the season, uh, from the season, season one. So uh, go ahead, help yourselves uh, get a listen in or two. I hope you got a laugh, maybe learned a thing or two. Uh, Let us know what you think in the reviews or send us an email. As I said earlier, this is the end of season one. We will be back on January 21st, 2021 for another exciting season of image stories with phoebe we're actually looking for folks to share their stories with us so please send an email to iswithphoebe at gmail.com that's iswithphoebe at gmail.com i've created an interest form and i'm going to try to put it in the notes for the for this episode so um you can just click on it and complete the form and we will get back to you now if you have some apprehension about putting yourself out there and putting your story out there i i understand i get that don't worry, you can use an alias, okay? This is a safe space, okay? All right. Um, so before before we head out today, you know, 2020 has been harder than many of us could have ever imagined. There's been a lot of losses from jobs to loved ones, celebrations, vacations, you know, plans. COVID-19 is still in the air, and it's impacting communities and families more than ever, like, um, even, you know, today, just just before I sat down to record this, I was informed that a dear friend of ours had just lost their dad to COVID-19. So please, let's take this seriously. Make sure that you mask up, you stay home, and take care of yourselves. And also, you know what? Give the people that you love a hug if you're able to. You know, if you share the same bubble, please go ahead and do that because life is short, Okay. All right. Well, I wish you a happy new year, and I hope that the coming year is super good to all of us. Cheers to 2021. Catch y'all later.